morning, Isaiah chapter 8 and 9 this morning. I want to thank Dave. Choirs don't just happen, and I thank you, Dave, for having that vision and putting that together for us. We really appreciate that. Giving folks an opportunity to be able to express themselves in worship is a good thing. I also want to share with you a little bit about um, how to pray for a couple of the folks that Aaron mentioned in his prayers. Um, let's start with Junior. Junior came home from the hospital yesterday, um, had the pacemaker put in, and um, is just home resting, is a little sore. But you can pray. His heart is still in AFib, and so um, like a lot of folks of you who have suffered with AFib, he doesn't even realize it is at times. He doesn't even know it's, it's in AFib. Um, it looks like in a month or so, he'll have a procedure to try and get that back in rhythm. So be praying for him. Um, for the Fitzpatricks, um, if you're not aware, if you haven't paid attention to what's going on, Matthew had a major surgery, and it is just a miracle that he came home the next day. Um, in a way, it's a mixed blessing because now his care is solely on his parents. And uh, Matthew cannot walk. <laughs> Matthew has to be carried wherever he goes, and it's going to be that way for a little bit. Um, fortunately, he's a little bit of a little guy still, so that makes it somewhat easier, but um, I, you can pray tomorrow. Some big things happen tomorrow. They start physical therapy tomorrow, and quite honestly, Matthew's going to hate that. So, so pray for his parents and, and pray for Matthew that, that this would be a, a, a not as bad of an experience that he already believes that it's going to be in his mind, but just pray for them. I, I'm sure they could use your encouragement, and, and I know that they covet your prayers during this time. So, one of my greatest fascinations with the incarnation of Christ is this. I alluded to this last week in my message, but I just, because it's fresh in my mind, God in the flesh chooses to come how? As an infant, right? As an infant. If I'm God and I choose to come to the place that I created and I choose to just kind of express myself I probably choose to come as like something super powerful, superhuman, some big, you know, authoritarian kind of guy. Anybody else with me? God chooses to, to come as a baby. Um, obviously, I've had some glorious exposure in the last few weeks to babies. But, but one of the things that, that's kind of interesting to me is, and, and by the way, I hope Matt and Malia aren't listening. They're down at the hospital right now. It's really true. All babies look like Winston Churchill. <laughs> Ours are really cute, but they still look like Winston Churchill, okay? They really do. Um, as, as Amy and I have had the privilege to sit in that NICU unit, it's a pretty sad place to be. For us, it's just a big blessing because the two babies that we're holding are, are pretty, pretty healthy. But all around us in that unit, there are parents coming in there with like total worry on their faces and, and kids hooked up to like more wires than you and I could count and, and contraptions. And when you think about it, babies come and even if they're not sick, they're helpless, they're vulnerable, and they're so needy. They're so needy. Even the most royal, the most entitled, the most privileged infant that's born on this earth still has to be fed, still has to have its diaper changed, still has to be burped, and still has to be protected, right? 
And I, and I, I don't want us to lose sight of that. Christ came as a baby. Christ came as a baby. And I have to ask myself, who would send a baby? And then I have to remember, it's Almighty God would do that. Almighty God would do that. And so this morning, when we come to this passage in Isaiah chapter 9, this, this one that is coming, and, and, it, and it says to us, and, and, and with implying for us, this, this one that comes, God chooses to reveal himself initially when he, when he reveals himself as a person on this earth. He comes as a baby. And so the, the names that are given for this child prophetically here are just amazing, and they don't make us think about a baby at all, do they? They don't make us think about a baby at all. So last week we saw part one of the king, of his, the king and his kingdom, and we saw our dire need for a king. How many of you would still agree with me today, this week, one week later, we still are desperately in need of a really good king? You agree with me on that? We, we are in desperate need of a good king. And today we want to see that this king is like no other king. So we, we turn our attention here to Isaiah chapter 8, but I do want to make mention of this. We will meet next Sunday. That doesn't mean if you're not here next Sunday that you're a heretic. We realize you got families and you got things you got to do. But, but to me, it seems like the most appropriate thing to, 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 on the day that we set aside one day every week that we celebrate our resurrected Lord, let's celebrate his birth on the same day, right? Let's do that together if we can next Sunday. We're going to pick up where we picked up last week and read this whole, uh, this, whole, this whole section of Scripture in chapter 8 and verse 17. You follow along while I read. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 17. Isaiah talking here. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. Stop right there. Is that not a description of our world today, even? Not just in Isaiah's time, but it's in our world today that, that the, the, our world is enraged around us and they speak contemptuously against whoever their king is and their God. Verse 22, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shown. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. And I have to stop and ask ourselves that. Did the people of Israel deserve that to happen for them? Church, did they deserve it? Had they done anything good at this point? No. If you write in your Bible, just write next to those first three verses of chapter 9. This is God's grace. God, God choosing to act on behalf of his people. He's not obligated to do it, but he's going to do it. 
Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every brute of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fire or fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and ever forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, what an amazing prophecy. What an amazing truth and what, what an amazing revelation of just exactly who this child is, who Jesus is. These four names that are given to us here are, are so instructional to us. They're so, they're so just hard to fathom that you are, Christ, all these things for us. And you're those things for us today. And I pray that before we leave here today, that Spirit, you would come and take the Word of God given to Isaiah hundreds of years ago, and that you would drill it deep in our hearts. Our hearts are needy, God. Some hearts in this room need encouragement. I pray that you would encourage those hearts. Some hearts in this room need to be rebuked, and, and they need to be challenged. I pray that you would do that. Some hearts in this room just need to learn. I pray that you would teach us this morning. Above all, when we leave here, may we be able to just in unison say, what a great Messiah, what a great Savior we have in Christ. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. What I want you to see, first of all, in verse 6, and we're just going to hone in on verse 6 this morning. What I, first of all, want you to see is this king is for all. This king is for all. You notice it says, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. That's a broad term, and, and this, this king is for all. I don't know how many of you, how many of you are kind of people who, who pay attention to, to the royalty in England? Any of you? Stick your little pinky out when you do it. Put your little nose in the air a little bit, like, give me a little royal wave. Earlier this year, we witnessed the death of Queen Elizabeth. And I don't know about you, uh, it was a spectacle, was it not? It was a spectacle. I mean, it was as purely British as you can get. So provincial, right? And it seemed like it was everywhere, and it seemed like for like a two-week period, it was like, don't even bother turning on your TV because it's going to be the queen somehow, some way. Even your favorite sitcom or your favorite drama, somehow the queen was going to be in there, Right? I heard her referred to several times post-death as the world's monarch, the world's monarch. And I, and I get what they were saying. She was well-loved all across the world. But I'm guessing the people in China did not think she was their monarch. I'm guessing, I'm guessing a lot of folks in Africa did not think that she was their monarch. And I get it. She's well-loved and respected. But, but honestly, Elizabeth was not queen of the world. There's only one world's monarch, and this is the one that's being prophesied about here. There's only going to be one true ruler. There only is one true ruler over the world. There is only one true sovereign ruler over all. And, and that's who's being prophesied about here today. And notice it says, to us, a king for all, for you, for me. 
But as Isaiah writes this, he has something in mind that maybe you and I can't connect that dot, and I want to help you connect that dot this morning. Because he is referring back to something earlier in this prophecy. In my Bible, it's just one page back, and it's a really familiar verse. You know it. Go back with me to chapter 7. In chapter 7, in verse 14, we have this prophecy given, and, and Isaiah is connecting these two prophecies to the same person with the language he uses. And he says in verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son in his name and call his name Emmanuel. Now what Isaiah doesn't do here, which we have benefit of in the New Testament is, is the understanding of the word Emmanuel. You know it. I bet, I bet 95% of the people in here can read Hebrew, at least this one Hebrew word. What is Emmanuel? God with us, Right? And as Isaiah writes this, and then here in, in two short chapters, when he comes to chapter 9 and verse 6, this to us is tying us back to this Emmanuel, the God who is for us. This son named Emmanuel, and, and in light of the dire need that we saw explained last week where there's no light and there's no joy and there's no peace on this earth, we desperately need a God who is with us, do we not? We need a God who is right here in the middle of this with us. And I've got good news for you, folks. If he came in, 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 at the beginning of, of the New Testament, Christ comes to be with us, guess what? Whether or not he's physically here with us, he's still just as much with us as he's ever been. He's right here in this with us. In Matthew chapter 1, after Joseph is informed by an angel in a dream of God's plan for Mary, which is really interesting because if that happened today, all of us would be like, yeah, you just ate some bad sushi before you went to bed, right? Like, or, you know, what was in your glass of water before you went to bed, Joseph, right? When, when, he, when he has this dream and, and God reveals his plan for Mary, God gives him some commands in this dream. And I was thinking about that. If I was Joseph and I got a command in a dream, I'm not sure I would act on that because I'm not really sure I would trust my wits about me, right? Here's Joseph, though, and he acts in faith. But in the, in the dream, he commands him, you will call his name Jesus, which means Savior, because he will save his people from their sins. How is he going to save his people from his sins? Because it's God with us. It's God with us. But he doesn't come, in verse 6, just to be to us or for us. Isaiah builds on this. He's not just a God who's for us, he's a God who's over us. And we can't forget that. Notice what it says there, the government will be upon his shoulder. He's not just talking about one nation's government or one city's government or, or state government. United States, he's talking about all the governments of the world, all the authority will sit directly on his shoulder. Understand this. He's going to shoulder the rule of all, over all. And honestly, it's not something that's going to happen in the future. He already is shouldering all of the rule and authority right now. One day, he will physically come and rule over all. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 27 says this, he will rule them with a rod of iron. 
And those of us who are legalists in this room are like, let's have it now. Right? Right? But here's the thing. This is not some egomaniac trying to rule the world like Napoleon or Hitler. (laughs) You know I love history. And when you read history and you read about the background of men like Napoleon and Hitler, it's just kind of scary. And you wonder how many other people are being raised that way in the world that we live in right now. That's not who this king is. This is, this is a king who's not looking to be a tyrant. This is not a king who's looking to destroy people's lives. This is not a king who's looking to, to just be on an ego trip and make everybody just bow before him because, because he absolutely needs their adulation. Our God needs nothing. Our Savior needs nothing. He is everything. And so we want to see that this is a king like no other. And the way that Isaiah does it as it's been inspired to him by the Holy Spirit is to describe this king in four names. And I want you to think about yourself for a second. And this is not some cute little Facebook quiz thing, you know, where where they're trying to steal your information and then give it to people who will do nefarious things with your bank account, okay? Which, by the way, that's most of what Facebook is, if you didn't know that, okay? It's people trying to get your information and harvest it and use it against you. Like, Merry Christmas, Pastor Dan. I want you to think about yourself for a second and come up with four names that would describe you. Some of you, I'm looking at you, and I could come up with names, but I won't mention them publicly, okay? (laughs) And you could do the same for me, right? But think about that. What four names would you use to describe yourself? And then what you're going to find out is you can't come up with four names that just describe just how great you are, right? Or that describe your personality or who you are. But these four names sum up our Savior in a big way, in a complete way, in a holistic way. He begins here with wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. And that can be taken two ways. And either way you take it is not a wrong way to take it. It can mean what? It could be this way. He is a wonder of a counselor. He's an amazing counselor, or it can mean this, he counsels wonderful things. Are those, the, are those both descriptions of our Savior? Those are. So either one that we would choose to interpret this way is not a wrong interpretation because they both describe King Jesus. That word wonder means extraordinary. It means that it's hard to understand. And I, and I love that because here's why. A lot of life is hard to understand. Anybody else with me on that? A lot of life is hard to understand. I don't understand, from, from a really negative point of view, I don't understand how people can murder babies right up until their birth. I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand how they can murder anybody, for that matter. But to murder these, these babies right up at the point of birth, I mean, I think, I honestly believe there's a hotter part of hell reserved for those people. But on the other end of the spectrum, I also don't, I can't fathom this, and I've been criticized for saying this, but I will still say it to this day because I can't fathom it. I can't fathom how God in his love would choose to love someone like me. I don't get it. Why would he choose me before the foundation of the world to set his love upon? I don't know, but he did. That's the record of Scripture. 
And so there's so many things that are hard to understand. And there are times that we as human beings, we, we get in, in, in the Word, and we, we have well-intentioned thoughts, and that we are trying to solve these mysteries, and sometimes we have to come to the end of ourselves and realize, this is too big for me, I can't get it. I have to trust the one who understands this perfectly and completely. And we have a wonderful counselor who understands the extraordinary, the hard to understand. That word counselor means to advise. And what it emphasizes is, is he advises based on a purpose or a plan. Now, I want you to think about this. When you and I go to a counselor, counselors, whether, whether you go and pay a professional, professional to counsel you, or you come and you sit in your pastor's office that is decorated with chairs that are too big and eagles everywhere and books all over his shelf that you're like, there's no way he's read all those, and that is totally true. <laughs> I mean, I, I flex with my library, okay? It doesn't mean I read it, okay? It's all there for appearance. No, most of that is just reference material, okay? No matter if you go to your pastor's office or some counselor somewhere, Here's the thing that they're doing. They're reacting to what you are saying to them. Are they not? They are reacting to what you're saying. They are responding to, to something that you have said. They're responding to a feeling that you have. They're responding to something that, that's going on in your life, and they are reactionary to that. Some are really good. Some are not even worth the offices that they're sitting in. But when you go to the wonderful counselor, you are going to the one that from the beginning had a plan. And he knows exactly how you fit into that plan. And he can advise you with expertise like you and I cannot believe how you fit into the plan and how you should respond to what he's doing in your life. Isn't that an amazing thing? Which is why, and this is free, when you go to a seek counsel from somebody, go to somebody who's going to point you to the wonderful counselor. If you're going to go to a counselor that's going to give you a lot of what they think, they're not worth it. You say, but they got a lot of letters behind their name. Yeah, well, they just overpaid. All they needed to do was pick up the Word of God and become proficient with that. Because we live in dark days. We live in days that are growing darker. And we need someone who understands what the plan is. Do we not? I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I trust GPS to be my plan. Anybody else trust GPS? I long for the days when you could go into a gas station and buy a map. You go in there and ask somebody for a map, and it's usually some kid behind the counter that's like, what? You know those things of paper that fold out? I'm like, what, what? Like, Get out your phone. There was some time not too long ago, I was following GPS, and it literally got so screwed up, it got me in the parking lot of a, of a shopping center and just kept me having going in circles. I'm like, you're stupid. And then I thought to myself, I'm dumb because I'm listening to it. <laughs> Who's the stupid one here? And a lot of times when it comes to man's wisdom, we're following a GPS that is just taking us in circles. 
But we have a wonderful counselor who has heavenly wisdom from an all-knowing one who promises to do this with his counsel, to work all things together for good and too for his glory. He's a wonderful counselor. Secondly, he's the mighty God. He's the mighty God. Mighty God, that's easy to understand, right? All-powerful one. I want you to keep your finger here, and I want you to go back. This is not the first time this, men, this name has been mentioned. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10 is the account where, remember when Moses came down with the law the first time on the tablets of stone? What happened with the first time he came down with them? <laughs> Moses, Moses had some anger issues at times, didn't he? What did he do with those tablets of stone that first time? He like threw them, but it was, it was a very beautiful picture of what was going on, right? You literally are breaking God's law, and guess what? Boom! So what does God do? He, he writes some new tablets out, right? And so, as we move forward in the chapter, we come down to verse 12, and, and God says now to, to Israel, and, and this makes sense to us now because we just saw this a few weeks ago in talking with Abraham. He says to Israel, his chosen people, circumcise your heart. You circumcise your heart, right? But as you move forward, you come down to verse 17. He describes who he is to them. He says this, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the what? The mighty. The mighty. This isn't the first time that, that Israel has heard this directly, but, but now it's an association with somebody else. It's not an association with Yahweh, the great I am. It's an association with this king who's going to be born. This one who is promised, this Jesus. And what this is, this is clearly an identification of the promised king, Jesus, is not just some special being from outer space. He is God himself in the flesh. He's the mighty God. Make no mistake, this is the promised one. And when he shows up as a baby... This is the omnipotent, all-knowing, all-wise, holy God in the flesh. John puts it this way in John chapter 1 and verse 14. The word, the logos, the, if you will, the book that reveals who God is, the word became flesh and he dwelt right among us. And he goes on to say, and we have seen his glory. Think about this, moms. You look at your little babies when they're first born and you think they're all glorious, don't you? You don't think your babies look like Winston Churchill, do you? Other people do, but you don't. And you think it of other people's babies, but not your own. It's okay. It's the way God wired you. When Mary first took Jesus and nuzzled him in close, and she looked at his face for the first time, she was looking at the glory of God. The glory of God. Unlike any other baby who's ever been born. 
The word mighty implies a strong warrior, one who will fight for his people, one who will be victorious overall. Make no mistake, this King Jesus is not a king where his reign is in doubt whether or not he's going to be able to overcome the wicked one. It was announced when he was prophesied that he would come. He is the victorious one. We see him pictured this way in Revelation chapter 19, don't we? We see him in Revelation. In fact, let's just look at it this morning. Revelation chapter 19, this is how he's pictured in the scriptures. This same, this same baby king <laughs> that's prophesied about in Isaiah chapter 9, this, this is what he looks like by the time you get to the end of the book. <laughs> Revelation 19 verse 11, then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, which symbolifies the fact that he is the world's ruler. He has all the crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the almighty, sweet little baby Jesus in a manger, is coming to tread out the winepress of the wrath of God. And so we see him leading the armies of heaven, and putting down a worldwide rebellion. See, so not only is he the embodiment of wisdom who gives exactly the right counsel in the right way and the wisest of counselors, he's the ultimate conquering king. But that doesn't sufficiently describe who Jesus is, does it? There's still more to him, isn't there? And so we come back to Isaiah chapter 9. Wonderful counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. How many of you have ever kind of choked on that, that name, Everlasting Father? I used to really choke on that because I'm like, wait a minute. I've been told from a little kid about the Trinity, and it always gave me a headache, right? The Trinity gives us a headache, right, to try and figure out. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is clearly a prophecy about Jesus. Why is he being called Father? And this is a verse, quite honestly, that is used by, by purveyors of really bad theology to prove that God the Father and God the Son are one and the same person. By the way, that's called modalism, and it's a lie from the pit of hell. God the Father is not God the Son, and He's not the Holy Spirit. Yet, they are one. And again, that's where the headache comes in, right? That's where, where we're like, I can't figure this all out, but I got to take it by faith with a lot of the rest of the scriptures. This idea of being pictured out as a father, he is not trying to say that this is Yahweh. What he's saying is, think of God being pictured here. Think of Jesus being pictured here as the king who is a good and benevolent protector of his subjects. Isn't that what a good father does? How many of you fathers in this room are good fathers? What's a good father do? Does a good father take care of his children? Does a good father protect? Does a good father provide? 
Does a good father do everything within his power to do what's best for his children and for his family? Yes, he does. I think of this in terms of John chapter 10 and the good shepherd. What's a good shepherd do? Well, Jesus said this, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's the ultimate, that's the ultimate thing that he could have done for us, right? It says here that, that he is the everlasting father. I got news for all the fathers in this room, all the fathers who are listening. We're not everlasting. Our kids know this. My kids delight, delight to remind me that I'm getting old. Of course, I give them plenty of reasons on a daily basis, okay? I do. I'll tell on myself. I told this to the other elders this week in our text thread. So somebody came up to church and they dropped something off for the funeral on Thursday and they set the alarm in the building, not knowing that I was in the building. Yeah, it was you, Miranda. <laughs> You're going to get a good laugh out of this, Miranda. I'm sitting in my office and I'm wrestling with my message for the funeral, right? And I hear kind of barely, because I'm old and I have bad hearing, okay, I hear this beep, 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 and I look over at the little refrigerator in my office, and I'm like, that's normally beeping because I leave the drawer open, you know, and, and, and no, it's closed, and I'm like, beep, and then it starts going beep, 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 and I'm like, oh no, it's the alarm. And I get up from my desk and I'm going to sprint to the nearest keypad to turn it off, except my feet get caught in the chair in my desk. <laughs> and I go down hard. And in a split second, my initial reaction is, praise God, there's no cameras in my office. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Miranda. <laughs> I did get the alarm turned off in time. I'm not everlasting. I'm old. I'm falling apart, literally. Yeah. <laughs> what we have here is an everlasting father who's not falling apart. We have King Jesus who is, who is just as young and powerful as he ever was and will be. And he is actively at work like a father to care for his people. And what a comfort that is when we live in dark days, is it not? When you think about the incarnation of Christ, yes, he came to reveal the father to us. But did he also not come to convey who the father is and to come and care for us? The ultimate act of care was, was demonstrated when he went to the cross and died for us. That is care. That's love. Psalm 103, 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Do you need a little compassion in your life? I do. We have a Savior King who is an all-compassionate King as well. And he's finally the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. We talked a lot about last week about how he brings peace. But, but think about this. 
this one who, who, is, who is excellent and wonderful in his counsel, this one who is the mighty God, who, who no force that can be contrived on this earth can even challenge at all, this one who, who is the everlasting Father who cares for us, he is also our peace. And honestly, if you're going to name Christ with just four names, I can't think of a better name. I can't think of something I would substitute for one of these four. His first advent coming to earth brought us peace with God. His second advent will bring peace on this earth. One of the themes of Christmas carols is this, and I think a lot of Christmas carol writers kind of got their, their theology a little bit askew because they were, they were thinking that, that, it, that it came with his first advent is this idea of peace on earth, goodwill towards men, right? And because we hear the angels say that, right? And they, they interpreted it to be the fact that, that, that Christ came and that eventually, because of his first coming, there will be peace on this earth. And all we know is this, that from the time of Christ's coming, even when Christ came on this earth, was there peace on earth? Absolutely not. And has it gotten better or worse, church? It's gotten worse. In other words, there's a prophecy still to be fulfilled. There is coming a day when Jesus will come, not as an infant, but as a conquering king, and he will completely bring peace on this earth. So you say, what does this mean for all of us, PD? What does this mean for all of us? Just a little Christmas message to make us feel good? Well, what it means is this. This morning, if you're not the child of God, you might be tempted to think, well, he's not my king. I don't need him as my king. Then that would be misguided thinking. Whether or not you take Jesus as your king, he is your king. Because if you're sovereign over all, you're sovereign over all. And whether or not you want to accept or own him as your king, by not being a loyal, submitted subject to this king, you are an enemy of the state. That's not a great place to be, is it? But the good news is, he came so that you might have peace with God. He came so that you don't have to be an enemy of the state. He came so that you might be reconciled to the Father. And he took the penalty of your sin. He took the penalty of my sin on himself when he died on the cross. If you're not what I would call a loyal subject, a willing subject to this king, he would invite you today to become one. If you're here this morning and you're the child of God and you're being ruled over willingly by King Jesus, think about this for a second. How many of us in this room could use some really good counsel right about now? Where do we go get it? We go to all the wrong places usually, don't we? I would start with this. I would start with the Word of God. The last place I would go for the first place to find wisdom is like YouTube. Go to the Word. Go to the source, right? Go to exactly what God has written for us. 
And here's the thing that I think we need to be remembered or reminded about, church, is this. You're like, well, I'm not skilled in the Word of God. Honestly, how many of you in this room are just like, the Word of God sometimes intimidates me because I don't understand it? How many of you are that way? I'm that way. And I have to be reminded of this. Yeah, but I've got, I've got a foolproof thing working for me, and you do the same thing as well. If you're the child of God, who dwells within you? The Holy Spirit. You know what's promised about the Holy Spirit? He will guide you into all what? Truth. The other thing you got going for you is, is that you're a part of a church. Are churches perfect? Churches, though, have elders and leaders over them. Are they perfect? No. But what are, what are they tasked with? Are they tasked with helping you to understand the Word? Is that what they're tasked with? Yeah. You don't need, you don't need a bunch of books. They just look really impressive in an office, trust me. They're just a flex, that's all they are. You need the Word of God. You need the one book. You have a wonderful counselor, and he's at your fingertips. <laughs> he's even on most of your smartphones, is he not? Yeah. You just put it on there so people think you're a really good Christian. Got the Bible on my smartphone. Don't know how to use it, but I got it. Secondly, how many of you need a mighty God right about now? We have one in King Jesus. One who triumphed over death. If he can triumph over death, can he deal with the big issues in your life and even the little ones? You bet your life he can. We need someone who will care for us, and we have an everlasting Father. How many of you get worried? I know we're not supposed to admit that in church. How many of you get worried? We worry, don't we? And yet we have a Savior who's the Prince of Peace. Does that mean He just made peace for us with the Father one time, and He's done making peace for us? No. No. He still is actively at work to bring peace in our lives. And quite honestly... That's all we need, those four things, right? That's all we need. So when you return your husband's Christmas presents this year, you can say, PD said we have all we need. <laughs> you do that, don't you drag me into it. I will give you some wonderful counsel. We have all we need, we lack nothing. And it comes in the person of Christ, our Savior. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Oh, Father. We think of Christmas time as all this time of gift giving and Christmas trees and all this stuff. And, and in many ways, I know we've skewed it from what it really is. But ultimately, the first Christmas was about you giving to us a gift that is beyond compare. Sending Jesus as a baby, but sending him as a king. And I am so thankful that this king rules and reigns, that this king is our wonderful counselor, that this king is the mighty God, that this king is the everlasting father who cares for us, and that this king is our prince of peace. We praise you this morning, King Jesus. We pray for those in this room or who are listening online that do not, have not submitted their hearts to his rule and reign. 
May today be the day that they do so. In Jesus' name, amen.